0: retirement in this country is broken we work ourselves to death and miss out on so many of life's experiences along the way there's got to be a better way david adams is a certified financial planner and cpa and founder of david adams wealth group an independent firm that offers securities through Raymond James Financial Services and is here to help you learn how to retire while you work and develop a different way of thinking when it comes to managing your money. Hello and welcome to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, and you can hear us every Sunday on News Radio 1510 WLAC from 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So thanks for listening. And I'm here in studio today with... A very special guest and also a good friend of mine. First of all, Andrea Risk, how are you?
1: I'm good, David. How's it going?
0: It's going great. Glad you're here.
1: Hey, thanks, thanks.
0: Andrea's going to go through some of your questions throughout the week in our next segment. And then we have our special guest, Terry Hughes, to talk about charitable and year-end giving in our last segment. Hello, Terry.
2: Hi, David. I'm looking forward to talking with you in that last segment. Yes,
0: thank you for coming up here today. We're excited to have you. at a very timely topic about year-end giving, so that'll be great. All right. So every Sunday we talk about retiring while you work. And what I mean by that is this. The retirement ideal in this country, it's really undergone, I'd say, more facelifts than the late Joan Rivers.
1: I think that's (laughs) an accurate statement.
0: Thank you for the laugh, Andrea. (laughs) And speaking of laughs, my dad actually sent me a little encouraging text before the show and said, Son, you're going to do great today. You have a face made for radio. And I said, thanks, dad. And then I realized that was a dad joke.
1: Yes, it's a total dad joke. <laughs> so another it's that just was. painful. He'll
0: get a k he'll get a kick <laughs> out of that. Good old dad jokes. All right. So back in the, you know, the when we looked at retirement not so long ago, it, it looks something like this. So your grandfather worked till 65, let's say, collected a gold watch and split for Florida with a fat pension and maybe some health benefits. You know, and millions of people have followed that same path. But that model's really been decaying and going away for years, in my opinion. And this has really been driven by the new realities of human longevity. There's this deep-seated desire of millions of retiring boomers to make a real difference. And more recently, there's also been financial pressures that surfaced really during and after the Great Recession of 2008. And, you know, emerging now, we're seeing this highly personalized vision of what retirement looks like in the later life. And it's a vision that's been dictated by your passions and your health, and really a desire to remain engaged. And of course, the ability to pay for it all, which is why it's important what I do.
1: Right. You got to plan for all those things you want to do. Absolutely. There
0: is a cost associated. Well, so in this more, let's call it customized retirement ideal, there's one thing that you can count on and that's boomers. And interestingly enough, when I say boomers, that's those who are reaching 65. And this is happening at the pace of about 10,000 people a day in this country. And so these boomers, they don't want to withdraw from society and they probably don't want to lead a life necessarily filled with playing bingo and golf. And, you know, maybe that sounded uh, inviting when you worked till 65 and passed away at 70. But, you know, these boomers, they've watched their often unprepared parents live far longer than anyone ever thought possible. And we're seeing these boomers as the first generation that can really count on possibly living till 82 or 90 or even, who knows, 120, right?
1: It's possible. There's a lady right now, I think she's the oldest woman in the world, and she just celebrated her 116th birthday. Wow. She says scotch is the answer, by the
0: way. Scotch, I I like that. And I guess that's, that's a great thing according to the quality of life. And so that's why all of this is important, maintaining health. But 116, wow. But back to that topic you know the idea of just idling away for 30 years it really seems unsettling to this generation that is the same generation that fought for civil rights and things like gender equality and even before the recession we saw this group refining retirement years as a time for staying at work longer and finding purpose and ways to remain engaged and that's why i'm encouraging this whole retire while you work mentality teaching people how to enjoy life every day and change the way that they feel about retirement. Very important with what I do. I've been an advisor for almost 15 years, and I see this every single day, and people are hungry for another way of retirement and a better outlook. Now, if you're just now tuning in, this is Retire While You Work, and I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And if you have questions throughout the week, you can go to our website at retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button. And send us your questions and we'll do our best to answer them in the segments after break. Now, with all that being said, many people are still deciding to make a move in retirement to explore additional work or lifestyle opportunities, right? And so, you know, where are the best places to retire? I get that question all the time. And obviously that's very subjective, but I came across an article recently, I believe it was in Kiplinger's, that released this list. And they used a uh, some sort of data aggregator to help them identify Economically healthy cities, and this, these would be places where early retirees should be able to work if they choose and find employment, and also prosper during their second acts, second careers, if you will. Now, this article also took into account unemployment rates and things like household income and living costs, especially for housing and healthcare, which are the biggest costs as people go into retirement. And then they sought out cities with low crime and high concentrations of residents with the ages, I believe, 45 to 65. Is that right, Andrea? Like yeah,
1: that. 45 to 65. They want to put people in a city with their peers.
0: That makes sense. Exactly. So you can enjoy retirement with your peers. Got it. So let's go through that list. I found this pretty interesting. Number 10, drum roll, Honolulu. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so i right. up, <I'm> done.
1: Honolulu.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> the list. <laughs> Who knew that was a
1: fiscally responsible
0: choice? Yeah, and, Hon- and Honolulu expensive, you would think.
1: I guess maybe not to live there.
0: Maybe not. Maybe not for retirees. Maybe they have some good alter housing alternatives. Number nine was Virginia Beach, followed by number eight. We had Midland, Texas. I know some good friends and advisors that live in Midland, and I've heard some good things about that area. Then we have Peoria, Arizona, Bellevue, Washington. I don't know. Is that a suburb of Seattle?
1: I don't know where Bellevue is. Not actually, sure. it may be a suburb of Seattle. Yeah. Oh, yep. we're getting confirmation. We're getting from some our head guests. shakes
0: in the studio. So yeah. Bellevue, Washington. Number five was. I believe you said is it Sioux Falls, mm-hmm. South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Then we have Sandy Springs, Georgia. Now that's close to that's close to where you were, right?
1: Absolutely, I know lots outside of, folks. of Atlanta. Yeah, Sandy Springs is about ten minutes from Buckhead and about twenty minutes from downtown in Atlanta. It's a it's a really beautiful place.
0: Great. Then we have Alexandria, Virginia. Number two was Cary, North Carolina, and the number one, according to Kiplinger's, was Naperville, Illinois.
1: Naperville, Illinois. I'll have to
0: check it out. <laughs> I have to check it. Sounds like the the <laughs> place to be. All righty. Well, we're about to go to our first break. You've been tuning in to "Retire While You Work." I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And when we come back from our break, we're going to answer some of our listeners' questions throughout the week, our top five most compelling questions, and hear what's on your minds when it comes to your money and life. And we're back in a few. All right, hello, and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Every week, I get questions from you, the listeners, and also clients that come into our office. And the goal in this segment is to answer these questions, not by checking some box in some cookie cutter financial textbook method, but really in a way that adds value. And so I hope that we uh, hope that we answer your questions and provide a broader perspective and some clarity, and also really keep that Retire While You Work mindset as we go through these questions. And remember, you can submit your question throughout the week by going to retirewhileyouwork.com and click Contact button at the top of the screen, and we will incorporate your question into next week's show. Andrea, let's get started.
1: All right. First question from one of our listeners this week, actually. So many people are afraid that Social Security is going away. Do you think Social Security will go away in our lifetime? I keep trying to reassure my friends and children, but they are nervous.
0: Very, very common question.
1: You probably get this in your office twice a week.
0: So I left before this, I left. I was doing a speaking engagement down in uh, Brentwood Country Club, and I had this question from uh, two of people in the audience, this exact question. It's always around when there's political change. You know, with the election behind us, people are always asking about what does that mean for government debt? Is Social Security going away? Great question. Let me let me first answer this by saying, no, not at all. Now, I'm going to answer that with as much conviction and confidence as I guess one can ever do so in society and life, because as we know, there are no guarantees, but I'm very convicted that no, Social Security is not going away. Now, let's think about this. For lack of a better term, this would be political suicide for any president to touch. I mean, George W. Bush talked about privatizing it, and you know there there was all sorts of uproar and mayhem. So I do not think it's going away. I mean, think about it this way. The government has, you know, they're going to go and tax, they can tax, tax, tax to help fund Social Security. And there's a lot more room for them to do that. And that's a lot easier path before just saying Social Security is bankrupt. Now, it is on paper and you can, but if you look at things, I mean, my gosh, Andrew, there's so many easy things that could be done very frustrating so i get worked up on this topic but let's just think <laughs> let's say for for our generation so you know for those that are under the age of 50 or 45 you could simply go and change our retirement age from 67 to let's say 70 or 72 i think there'd be very little concern there most of the people most people in the millennial generation up until those around 45 or 50 they're not expecting it they're not they're not thinking about age 66 or 67 for social security so changing that to seventy to, or seventy-two, I don't think it would really hurt a politician uh, when it comes to votes. And that right there, I, I haven't done the math, but probably extends the uh, the Social Security pot probably ten more years. And then even after you do that, you could go and. You know, increase the uh, the wage base that they tax Social Security on. It's, it's been you know one hundred thousand, maybe one hundred and twenty thousand. They could always bump that up. So there is a lot of small steps that nobody's even started to make. So very low likelihood that Social Security goes away. I mean, we were talking on the last show that the average sixty year old, um, according to several different publications in this country, guess how much they have in retirement?
1: I it's I remember being shocked.
0: Like it's like $70, 75000 dollars. That's the average, which think about that number. I mean, if so, they, they need Social Security. They need that $2,000 a month or whatever it is to pay their basic, basic bills.
1: Absolutely. There's too many people that count on it.
0: So, no, to answer that question, um, I'd say, no, it's not going away. But, yes, there are changes that need to be made. And as a country, our government tends to be good at kicking the can down the road and avoiding those tough decisions because we're campaigning every two years, every year.
1: Absolutely. Always be campaigning. That, that seems to be the new thing. <laughs> Always so. be campaigning.
0: I like it. Great question. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC, and you can submit your questions to us today or throughout the week at retirewhileyouwork.com and click contact us, and we will do our best to answer your question. So let's go to the number two top of the top five most compelling questions of the week.
1: Okay, this one came in also from a listener, and I think it's pretty interesting, um, particularly because he seems to have a financial planner, but wanted to ask you this question, too. My financial planner was trying to explain how baby boomers can take advantage of rising interest rates, but I still don't think I understand. Can you please explain to me how this can help us instead of hurt us? My wife and I are in our mid-60s.
0: Okay, I just got this question as well just about an hour ago when I was speaking. Um, Very common question. You know, there's a lot of fear out there on this topic and really this concern about how the Fed as they increase interest rates and, and and that's that's really been a topic of discussion and that's something that's really happening in front of us now. You know, what does this mean to retirement income? Now, since 2009, we've watched the S&P almost triple while bond rates have gone down to dang near zero. I mean, you know, back in the day you could get 4 or 5% in a CD, let's say, and nowadays it's almost nothing same thing with your savings accounts. And this means that you've had to continue to accept and reinvest your money and continue to get lower and lower income. This is not very fun as a retiree, not at all.
1: No, I would imagine not.
0: So I mean imagine if you were working and every year you were working harder and your paycheck just went down. Probably not gonna probably not gonna keep that job.
1: No, probably not. <laughs> that doesn't seem like your best choice.
0: Now, so in general you have home buyers student loan bars and businesses that are thinking about taking on debt to reinvest in their businesses, right? And they're, they're going to be hurt by rising yields. But baby boomers and other savers should really be excited. Now, hang with me here. Now, I read a great article. Actually, Forbes was um, had a great article on this exact topic about ways that boomers could benefit from rising interest rates. So this was right up this question's alley. And there were several things, but I remember a, cu- a couple of them. And the first one they said was, um, things that you should do to benefit. And that would be appropriate exposure to fixed income. Now, you know, at the same time, you can't have too much equity because you have to think about risk. And, you know, but maybe what you do is you think about increasing your bond exposure as rates rise. So there's this kind of catch-22. I've been laughing with clients for a while. I mean, might as well laugh if you can't do anything else on these financial topics. But, you know, the old 50-50 portfolio, half, half equities and half bonds, 70-30 has become the new 50-50 because with rates so low, it's hard to get any income. So you really have to take that um, that that stock market exposure to get any type of return. And I think as rates begin to rise, this is going to be nice for um, retirees because they can reset some of those bonds and maybe even their CDs, possibly get those higher rates, and then lower down their equity exposure. So that's something to think about. So the, as you know, in the first couple of years. Things get a little choppy while rates are low and they start to rise. The bond market gets a little bit of pressure. But two or three years from now, that could be good. And usually for the Fed to continue raising rates, that means that the economy is doing pretty well. So confidence has to be up. And with Trump in there and now now that that's behind us and he's very pro-business, assuming there's not any type of world event and the market uh, businesses continue to grow, this will allow Yellen to increase Those rates. Now, another thing that Forbes mentioned was very important is getting your latest retirement income number. Now, what I I think what they meant, meant by this, and what I would what I would say on this topic is using tools and planning software. Get with your financial planner to do this. I know we do it in our office every week, and that's basically starting with things like what is your budget, what are your fixed expenses, how much do you want to travel. Um, do you? How often are you going to do home maintenance? Are you going to downsize? Looking at all the things that are personal to you, coming up with a budget, knowing what you want to spend in the ideal lifestyle, and then that is your retirement income number that you somehow need to get from your portfolio and a combination of Social Security. So spend the time to plan. A lot of people just go blindly into retirement saying, hey, I've got a million bucks. I've saved all this money. I should be fine. And should's not the way to plan. And then another thing that they mentioned in the article was to consider fixed income like pension and Social Security. And what they mean by that is the good news is these, these items, they don't change with the rates. So even if rates go up or down, if you have a pension and you're one of those few lucky people that still has a pension, that number shouldn't change. And Social Security, same way, it doesn't change. If anything, it has the potential to go up a little bit with the cost of living. So answering the question in summary, rising rates are good for retirees, but you have to be cautious Great question.
1: Really good question. Really good question. I, I think I, I learned a lot that I didn't know there. All right. I, I know we're going to go to break in just a minute, but I'm going to ask you this, and then hopefully we can get to it. Yeah, go
0: ahead and pose a question, okay. and we'll come back right after break.
1: All right. My wife and I make a combined $200,000 a year. We are both closing in on sixty, and both plan to work as long as we possibly can. I have an aging mother in a nursing home who will also require support. So after the break, I will ask you
0: a lot of meat to that question. Yeah, I look forward to answering meat, that.
1: A ton of meat. There. If
0: you're just if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC and we're going to go to break and after this break, we're going to continue answering your questions, our top 5 most compelling questions of the week. Stay tuned back in a few. Welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host David Adams on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And before the break, we were answering your questions throughout the week. And Andrea, I believe we had a a pretty lengthy, good question come up right before we went to break. Do you want to go over that question again?
1: Absolutely. So I ask it before the break, and I'll finish it up here. Um, I'll just start from the beginning because it's a really good one. Pretty involved, though. My wife and I make a combined $200,000 a year. We're both closing in on 60, and both plan to work as long as we possibly can. I have an aging mother in a nursing home who we also support. We have around $750,000 in retirement, but we are stressed about paying for college for one of our children. We've already put two through school, but we had a late in life child who was a surprise and who is not as academically strong as the other two, so no chance for scholarships what do you suggest as a way to save?
0: Wow. Good question. Lots lot of, of detail. Yeah, a lot of, lot of meat to that. I appreciate that. Let me see where to start. Well, sounds like a, another classic case of the sandwich generation that we talked on a show a few weeks ago, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Trying to raise kids and help parents too. It's
0: Focus on your parents, focus on your kids. You're kind of pulled in all directions while also still trying to save for retirement. Right. You know, trying to be a good steward of your own retirement while taking care of everybody else.
1: Sure. Well, and we see this a lot now too, right? Which is, you know, parents are older than they used to be when their children come. And it sounds like they had some children younger and then they had a surprise baby later on. And so, you know, when you build your financial plan, I guess sometimes it's hard to account for every variable, right? Right. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, first thing I would ask is how much savings and cash do they have on hand? And, you know, do they have an emergency fund? So do you know if they have one of those?
1: Uh, it wasn't in the question. Okay, so, great.
0: Well, let's just say they have $150,000 $150, that's cash on hand, which would be a, a great thing to have. So, you know, if somebody said, hey, I have $150,000, first thing I would say is you always need to have – at least a three to six month emergency fund. So in this example, I would suggest leaving $50,000 in an emergency fund just at the bank and then maybe $50,000 for their parents just in an account that's earmarked for helping their parents out. I've done this with a lot of clients, just that mental accounting of having having a separate checking account that they can use to pay for those expenses so they don't feel like they're dipping into the kid's college or even into their own IRAs or retirement And then with that other $50,000, this would be great to have a college fund where you could set up, you know, maybe it's a 529 account. There's a lot of different ways to save tax efficiently for college that we can uh, talk about in later in the show or another show. So that's the first thing I would suggest, you know, and then make sure that you're budgeting a monthly amount that can go to supplement both of these and really fill the gaps. And so if you take, you know, if you, if you have a chunk of money, you can set aside for your parents and also for um, helping with college. Going through your budget and saying, you know, hey, I have another, there's another $1,000 outside of our own retirement needs that I could um, allot to helping kids and parents. And then maybe what we do, and this is a simplistic example, is we take $500 a month and we put it into the college bucket and into the bucket for their parents. And what we're trying to do is get some momentum and build up some accounts here and 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 you know life happens and you may spend through the through your parents account first and then you might have to dip into your regular cash flow but that's okay but it's having those planning conversations and thinking about these things um, and having those different buckets you always hear me talk about buckets on the show Andrew you're probably tired of hearing about buckets right
1: <laughs> actually I think one of the questions coming up maybe about buckets, <laughs> buckets. we so. get that a
0: lot but it helps it helps um, you know and. Aging parents, there's no surprise that their costs are going to rise typically as they go into a nursing home and then also higher levels of care in a nursing home. So you really just have to do your best. And, you know, at some point, if they have no assets or you've done the best you can and they've spent down their assets, they can go to a Medicaid facility. And maybe that's not ideal and you may not want that. And that's why we plan. But there are options. It doesn't have to be all on your back. Now, college, same thing. Um, You know, you can work with someone to really help with help to maximize your college savings dollars. And we actually had a special guest a few week, weeks ago who does this. And so we'll have her, Karen, back on the show to talk about this. But, you know, are, are the kids, are they going to work? Are they? Are you going to allow them to take on any debt? It's really what's your parenting belief here. And there's a lot of philosophies there that I just listen to clients and explain to them that there's not a set, um, a set right answer when it comes to your kid's college. It's a balance of, looking at scholarships, what type of school do they want to go to? And are you expecting or putting that pressure on yourself to save and pay for every dollar? And then what about there's higher education, master's? It's only so much you can do. This is a a great question. So again, the balance I think needs to be on focusing on you and your retirement, ideally first, take care of you first. And then as the sandwich generation goes, then building the pieces of bread on each side of the sandwich, right? Absolutely. Helping, <laughs> helping with that.
1: Well, Clark Howard, and you know, everybody knows Clark Howard. He's, oh, yeah, out of Atlanta. Yeah, he's a, you know, f- hugely famous kind of person that is, is a real financial advocate and really stumps for people to take care of themselves. He His, his big thing is always... Nobody is willing to fund your retirement for you. They're not willing to put a drink in your hand with an umbrella in it and let you that's lay right. on the beach somewhere. He's like, but those same people will loan your kids money for college, but they're not going to loan you money for your retirement.
0: So That is a great point. I have not heard it phrased that way, yeah. but that's so true. So
1: he said, you know, take care. He's always said, take care of yourself first. Make sure you have that covered, your retirement right. covered, because you can always find money for college or post-secondary education. Right. You can't find money For your retirement, once it's gone.
0: Good. It sounds like Clark Howard would approve of this message. Agreed. Now, just to finish that question, I think you know. So, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars—that's a great place to be. You should be proud of yourself. Um, But really, go and see a financial advisor. Talk to someone you know to see what retirement needs to look like for you first. And if you want, you can always come and see me. This is what we do, and I love helping to solve these scenarios. Now, if you're just now tuning in, you can go to retirewhileyouwork.com, and you can submit your questions throughout the week to be a part of this segment. And this is Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And I believe that was question number three. It I'm sure was. we have plenty more questions. Let's we go do. to the next one.
1: All right. This is actually from someone in your office. Okay, it says, I keep hearing you talk about income investing. What do you mean when you refer to income investing? And how do I turn my 401k into a reliable source of retirement income?
0: Okay, great question. So, you know, when when you hear me or any financial advisor say income investing, what they're really referring to is a shift in your portfolio from more of a growth focus to more of an income focus. So owning things like bonds or getting dividends from equities versus buying those high-growth type of investments and riskier companies you know, like maybe you would do in your 20s, 20s, 30s, and 40s. So just that shift to more of an income focus. Now, generally, as you get closer to retirement, and I talked about this in one of the first questions, you'll shift a portfolio maybe from 80-20, 80% equity, 20% conservative, to 70-30 and down to 50-50. And in the past, as advisors, 50-50 was really a normal retirement type of model But now that they're saying, and I also uh, say this all the time, that 70 30 is the new 50 50, because we talked about, as we talked about just before the break, bond yields have been near zero. So you really have to own equities to have any chance at beating inflation, which is very counterintuitive and tough for a lot of retirees to grasp because when you think of equities, you think of more risk. Now, this has really kept us financial advisors on our toes and it's made our job a lot harder and really forced us to educate clients a lot more in this area, which is a great thing that we need to do in this this, uh, industry as a whole. So you need to look at your income needs. Example, let's say you have a million dollars and maybe you need 4%. That's kind of an average scenario to live on. So $40,000 a year to supplement your social security income. So maybe you have... Uh, 20000 30000 a year from Social Security, and you determine with your advisor that you need $40,000 a year that you have to pull from that portfolio. So you probably need that portfolio to earn maybe 5 to 6% over time to keep up with that 4% distribution. And that, and the reason I say that, you know, why not 4% growth, 5 to 6% because that gives you a buffer for things like taxes and really bad years in the market. Like two thousand and eight, Andrew. You probably know that the market doesn't always go up.
1: No, right? it doesn't. It, it doesn't always go up. It is like kind of like a balloon. It is. It eventually comes down. It right? does.
0: And and as advisors, our job would be so and way and way as financial advisors. But our job would be so much easier if we could just plan on a set six, seven, eight percent return a year. Right. So it doesn't work that way. Now, the goal really with financial planning is over time you hope to stay on a path that keeps you from running out of money. In your lifetime. That is rule number one. And so that's really the equation that all of us advisors are trying to solve for or should be. And then you start talking about returns and taxes and all of the other planning topics. Never run out of money, rule number one. Great question. I believe with that, it is time for another break. Very good.
1: And we'll, we'll get have to, to get those get... other
0: questions next week. Absolutely. Plenty of questions. We'll so, throw
1: them to next week. That absolutely. sounds great.
0: Well, you're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC and I'm your host, David Adams. And after the break, we have a special guest, Terry Hughes, who's going to talk with us a little bit about year-end giving and strategies for doing so. Great time of year for that topic. You won't want to miss it. Back in a few. Welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And just before the break, we were answering some of our most compelling questions throughout the week. And don't forget that you can go to retirewhileyouwork.com and click Contact Us in the top right-hand corner and submit your question, and we will answer it on our next show. Now, every week in this last segment, we like to bring in a guest who we think and hope can better help you get into that retire while you work mindset, and there's so many topics that can do that. And today's guest is Terry Hughes from Nashville Center for Nonprofit Management to help us talk about ways you can make good philanthropic decisions this holiday season. And Terry, we are so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, a little bit of little information and background on Terry. She is the fourth president and CEO of the Center for Nonprofit Management. And this is a capacity-building organization celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Wow. And as president, Terry leads this group and its mission of creating and sustaining nonprofit excellence and works to achieve this mission by providing educational workshops, consulting services, networking events, and special discounts and opportunities for member agencies. Gosh, she is very busy. And prior to joining this team, she served as president of the Nashville Public Library Foundation for 12 years. Well, great to have you here again, Terry. So tell us a little bit about what your organization does here in Nashville.
2: Well, David, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I really just love the uh, retire while you work idea that you have uh, as the title for your show, I think it's great, and I think it also um, has a lot to do with how people can live their lives. um, What I love about the nonprofit sector and being a part of, sometimes we call it the social sector, is how people really light up when they say, I served on this board, or I volunteered at an agency, and that is um, a way of really making a fulfilled life while you're working, in addition to all of the things that we must do to earn a living so that we can retire. Um, so I, I, think it's, I think it's great to have the quality of life um, while you're working and then further on. So what we do at the Center for Nonprofit Management is we really strive to help the nonprofit sector be excellent, do the jobs that they do, impact the poverty, the literacy rates, the, um, the environment, the, whatever the mission of the nonprofit is, our organization is here to help you learn how to fundraise, help you learn how to have good governance and a good board. Yeah. We, have, we do consulting. We help with planning. We do lots of workshops and training and conferences. And one of the most fun things that we do every year is we have what we call the Salute to Excellence, which is really the Academy Awards for nonprofits in this, in this um, uh, arena, in this, in this city. And what we do is we nominate um, there are many nominations for different categories okay. of nonprofits. and in programming, and there are finalists that are then um, videotaped, and we have a big dinner. and It's like a big gala. It's a gala. You know, like it's, it's, a gala. Up, it's a gala. And, you know, I, I, says, I you. think all that's missing is the red carpet, and I'm thinking about adding <laughs> that in because it's just so fun. And what it does is it makes you feel so, so good about what is going on in your community. And often you've come to support the nonprofit that you're a part of at, at a table, and suddenly you've learned about 24 other amazing projects and things that are going on in the city. You leave that evening and you feel so great about being part of Middle Tennessee.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I you know, after spending time looking at the market and talking about the economy and that sort of thing. I I left a, a board meeting I'm involved in just yesterday morning and I remember getting in my car and saying I just feel really good. That was so much fun to talk about. There's just a level of fulfillment that you can't get in the for-profit world. That you'll never never be able to replace. I
2: think that's so right. I mean, service changes us. Service broadens our world it makes us feel like we're doing something good and it is so wonderful to see the impact that we help to be a part of and sometimes i think uh, we are as uh, by serving we are as impacted as the the people that we went
0: into help in the first place. Absolutely. Well, you mm-hmm. definitely can sense your passion and what yeah. you do, and I think that's yeah. awesome and incredible. So it is the giving season, and, and there are so many people that are generous out there, which is a great thing, and in Nashville we see that a lot, and I'm sure all over the country, but definitely here locally, it's something we see every day, and, and th- these people want to help others. Now, you know, most people don't scrutinize charities, probably the way they do stocks or mutual funds in my business. Now, should they be doing that? How should they look at charities when they're, Wanting, when they have the generous heart and, the, and they want to do this.
2: It is a great time of year to be thinking about this. And I think it is a really good idea to, and worth a donor's time, to look carefully at the charity before donating. You're really investing. When you're donating, you're investing. That's a good point. So you want to be sure that you're investing in. Um, in an organization that is doing what you want it to be doing. And there are ways to do that. We recommend looking for um, for a charity with a mission that you're really passionate about. Okay. And that has a very results-oriented approach. So if you check out that nonprofit's website, you find out a lot. They tell you who we are. I mean, if you go to the top bar. What is that website? <laughs> Well, any nonprofit. Any, yeah. so oh, any you, nonprofit. So, okay, right. I thought there was
0: maybe one catch all. Well, there there <laughs> is.
2: So there is. There's one I'm going to tell you about. But 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 first, I would go to if you know about a charity that you that gotcha. you're interested in, go to their website, sure. take a look at what they do because they really do tell their story. I mean, that is their job to tell the story to um, their potential investors or donors yep. Yep. Um, and to um, the patrons that um, they serve. they the People that they serve as so well. going
0: to the website and starting there. And then yes,
2: and look how does it accomplish its, its mission, and also look to see if it shares information about the program outcomes. Okay. okay. Not just oh, we do. We like to do this. We try to do this, but we did this. Here are the results. In
0: 2014, so, we raised X amount. This year, we, we raised did X, we yeah.
2: raised X amount, but not only was and what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And right. what do we do with it? We changed. Um, you know, we got um, a thousand people. Um, New new housing, something like that. Right. I mean, what what it, what is that? And
0: this year it was 1500 Exactly. And so help We're us growing. get to 2000 exactly. Seeing that passion mm-hmm. and the, the results mm-hmm. oriented, that makes a lot of sense.
2: We also There is a website. You mentioned one. We also really highly recommend going to givingmatters.com. It's powered by the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee. Okay. And each nonprofit is basically re- required um, to put a... Profile on that, Okay. and so it puts their financial information. It puts the list of board of directors, their nine nineties, which is the tax return for yeah. for a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization, and you can really learn a lot by going to Giving Matters. And so there, you can you've already been to the website, yep. and so then you go and you look up that same organization on the um, Giving Matters, and it it's it each it's formatted the same for every nonprofit. So once you've looked at two or three, you kind of know where to go.
0: You'll you'll start to get a feel. For- You'll,
2: you'll see financials going back three, four, or five years. Okay. You'll see um, what, and they have wonderful pie charts and, and graphs and things that really tells you quite a bit about the health. So it gives you a chance to really compare these charities apples to apples, right? It does. If you can it look does. at kind of
1: financials it and does. how much money spent yeah. versus how much money is going back out into the yeah. community, and
2: and so that's our local. Um, website. There's also an organization that's national called Guidestar Guidestar.org.
0: Guidestar.org, okay? Guidestar.org.
2: And so that's another one that you can um, check out if you're wanting to invest in an in an organization that's national. It probably isn't going to have a profile here at the at the Giving Matters. Um so if you were looking at a national organization, you might go there and gotcha. and check out particularly their
0: financial information and Absolutely. things. Yeah. Well that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now question, what are the five things, and and maybe it's not five, or just the top things that every donor should know before making a contribution? Okay,
2: I'm going to do a drum roll roll like you did, David, drum roll. (laughs) (laughs) I think sort of what we've been talking about, do your homework. Okay. Do your homework. Um, as mentioned, you can you can re- we recommend you checking givingmatters.com to read more about the nonprofit of right. your choice. Also, you can see which nonprofits have joined our organization, the Center for Nonprofit Management, under where the member section of our of our website. It's cnm.org, cnm.org. And The reason I say that, not just to put in a plug for our organization, but joining the Center for Nonprofit Management shows a commitment to nonprofits and to the culture and to being excellent. So- that's that's one piece of homework that you could do. Um, also, you hear a lot about the overhead ratio of a nonprofit—how um, much uh, money goes to administration or operations, and how much goes to the actual programs. Yeah,
0: I, I hear that question a lot. It's a, it's like a, the...
2: it is it's a big it's a big topic of conversation, and there's been a lot of discussion over the years. It's important to look at that, but I also think the overhead ratio is not really a complete picture of the nonprofit's overall worth. Okay. So it's easy to get caught up in that percentage of expenses that a nonprofit spends, but that's only one measurement. So we really recommend looking at those results and the outcomes instead of focusing on the overhead myth. Sometimes it's called the overhead myth. Um, it, it, is, um, it is really worth taking, getting a holistic picture of what that nonprofit does and also thinking it's not necessarily about is it thousands of people, that are impacted, or is it a hundred people that whose lives have really been changed? So there's a lot of different degrees to which the mission can be accomplished right. and the results can come.
0: Very, very helpful. So that's
2: two. You want me to go on? Go ahead. Yeah. All right. So three, end of year giving is really a critical time for nonprofits. I mean, it's not only because the tax year ends, but it's also um, many nonprofits really rely on donations from the giving season to support them throughout the year. And so if you take the name giving season to the next level, what about... Thinking of making holiday gifts of donation to your to your loved ones as an added surprise. a Christmas ornament and a we made a donation in your name to something that they really care about. Maybe literacy is their thing or maybe animal rights is their
0: thing, well, especially, you know, this time of year people get a lot of times will get so stressed about getting out in traffic and what gift do I buy so and so. And that's a great way to be able to um, support the local community and also take a little bit of stress out of the holidays. It should well, just be fun. Watch you really? Food who
2: needs one more, you know,
0: pair of slippers. Right.
2: Right. Right. Not me. (laughs) Or one more tie. I got to take those back,
0: Andrea. I know.
2: I know. (laughs) And some nonprofits actually sell products at the holidays um, to add to their revenue stream, and a couple of examples are Brightstone and Franklin and Strings of Hope, and those are just two examples, and then other things like I love giving experience gifts, so what about season tickets or passes to uh, T-Pac or to the Belcourt Theater or to the Nashville Opera or so- something along those lines. They make great gifts, so there's ways to accomplish your giving and your giving
0: all in all in one fell swoop. Well, I was thinking of something. You know, with the fires um, here recently in Gatlinburg, mm-hmm. Gatlinburg and Sevilla County, you know, they've generated a lot of need. And of course, disasters. They always bring out donors, their their good intentions, but also there's people that a lot of times will prey on them.
2: Absolutely. And so that's
0: unfortunate. But what are your recommendations for our listeners yeah. who wanna that want to yeah. go out and help these victims to make sure that their dollars are going the right places?
2: Well, I really appreciate that question. And and of course our hearts go out to everybody that was affected by that just uh Destructive, awful, Absolutely. awful event. Absolutely. So, to make a donation, um, we recommend looking for organizations that existed prior to the disaster instead of new pop ups. Okay. So, sometimes I think that is where you get those uh, preying on the situation kinds of things is the pop ups. Again, givingmatters.com is a very valuable service for double checking on a nonprofit's details. But there has been a website set up called org, and that helps you uh, know where you can donate, volunteer, et cetera. But three ways, just quickly. Um, the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee okay. has set up an emergency relief fund, and that is CFMT, okay. Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee, dot org. And there's a, um, a, a way that you can make a donation there. Also, the East Tennessee chapter of the American Red Cross is another okay. one.
0: Great. Well, that's very helpful. We're out of time. Oh we could my talk gosh. We could talk about this all day, and we'll, we're going to have you back very important topic. Thank you so much for your time. Glad to be here. And with that, that wraps up today's show. You've been listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host David Adams. Please submit your questions to us for next week's show, retirewhileyouwork.com and we'll get those answered. Thank you to our special guest Terry Hughes today, and you can call us anytime at 615 615- with your question or just to see what we can do to help. Remember, life is short and there are many more important things to worry about than money and I sure hope this show helps.